This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast with Chef Mary Mamalidi. We go in a grocery store. How many hundreds of times have we walked by the celery root or the salsa fee or something that just looks strange and mom never cooked it? I don't know what to do with it. Buy it. Bring it home and play. The garden is like life. It's just ever-changing and evolving and flowing. It's what's in season. What does Mother Nature give us today? The recipe or the menu on our dinner plate might be entirely different than yesterday. Let Mother Nature dictate and provide such a beautiful opportunity of what you're going to put on the plate tomorrow. That's Farmer Lee Jones. He has cooked with Julia Child, dined with Martha Stewart, provided veggies to the top chefs in the world, and was the first farmer to win a James Beard Award. He's an expert in sustainable farming, innovative planting, and harvesting techniques, and the author of The Chef's Garden. It's a modern guide to common and unusual vegetables, along with recipes. Hello, Farmer Lee, and welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to get talking about this. I'm going to jump right in. And we're going to start with your family farm has been described as a Willy Wonka's factory of vegetables. And in your book, you say that we're the crazy farmers who will grow and harvest what almost no one else will. So can you tell us about the different types of varieties people will discover in the chef's garden? Oh, well, there's 700 different vegetables that we're growing. And, you know, we're located right along Lake Erie in Huron, Ohio. And if listeners have never heard of Huron, Ohio, it wouldn't surprise me. But maybe they've heard of Cedar Point, which is always on Discovery Channel for highest, tallest, fastest roller coasters. We're about eight miles from that. But it's an amazing microclimate. We're on old lake bottom, some of the richest sandy loam in the world. And we have the attitude that we can grow just a darn well almost anything here. Mm-hmm. And we'll try it. And some things don't work. But yes, obviously, um, radicchio is certainly one of those that 40 years ago, the university said couldn't be grown here. It had to be grown in Italy. And of course, we found varieties that would grow here quite well. You know, and part of it is growing different varieties, but it's also having an open mind and looking at a plant in an entirely different way than we've ever considered it before. You know, we all get that there's a 40% food waste situation, which is unconscionable to think of with people hungry in America and we're wasting 40% of the food. I think that might be understated, but I think that the better that we can have a relationship with producers of food and understand the ebbs and the flows that I think that it helps us to be able to find ways to reduce the food waste. Absolutely. When did your family decide that it was time to get out of the wholesale market and start selling directly to customers and chefs? When we went broke. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was you know, that was quick. <laughs> well, it, yes, it was. <laughs> My family had worked very, very hard. Right. And- Um, the interest rates have been very competitive in the last 10 years, about three and a half percent right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the late 70s, early 80s, they actually hit 22 percent. And so we were borrowing money from the bank at 22 percent. One of our primary customers was large chain grocery stores who bought by the semi loads and they would want 120 days to pay the bill. 
Wow. So we would deliver the goods, and then 120 days later, they would pay. So they were using the money at 22% interest. We were, in essence, borrowing it at 22%, loaning it to Kroger for 0%. It was a great program for Kroger Wow! until we went pro. But we, what really broke the camel's back was a hailstorm that wiped out all the crops. And we lost the farm. We started back at farmer's markets that were really at a historic low in the early 80s. Um, but we met a European influence chef. Her name was Iris Balin. And she said, you know, I've trained over in France. I've seen good quality food where it's harvested today or they go to the butcher, they go to the baker every day for their fresh goods. And then they do it again the next day. I believe if you would grow for the flavor, grow for the integrity, grow it without chemical, that there would be enough chefs that would support you. And we heard this and it gave us a little glimmer of light that there was possibly a way that our farm could somehow survive in agriculture in this new world. Because Earl Butts, the Secretary of Agriculture for the United States, mm-hmm. his message was to get bigger, get out. But yet Iris said, here, do it the right way and you don't have to be big, just be good. And we jumped on. The biggest blessing is that we've been able to work together as a family and work towards a common goal. And my dad was the the leader of that. Mm -hmm. And we've just, it's been, you know, truly a privilege to get to work together as a family over the last 40 years. Are you into playing a couple of games with me? Sure. Okay. So we're going to do a game called This or That. The choice is yours. You can get with this or you can get with that. So while you're cooking, do you listen to music or do you prefer silence? I don't listen to music. Silence it is then. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Morning. Baked or fried foods? Baked. Would you prefer soup or a salad? Salad. This one's going to throw you off. Do you squeeze your toothpaste from the middle or the bottom? Bottom. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Are you more sweet or salty? My wife says I'm more salty, but I think I'm sweet. <laughs> that is one of the best answers I've gotten for that. <laughs> I want to kind of talk a little bit about the Culinary Vegetable Institute and what happens there. You know, once we realized that chefs were a good sounding board for us, that they had been to other countries or they came from other countries and they wanted a product that they were used to or had experienced someplace else and said, could you grow it? We knew that it was a symbiotic relationship where we could learn from each other. And so my dad actually had the idea and he scratched it out on a paper, on the back of a paper bag one day, and he presented it to the family. And he said, you know, I think we need to build a place where the chefs can come. They can stay overnight with overnight accommodation. We can go into the fields together we can learn from each other. We can bring product back into a beautiful kitchen and let them be able to play and do menu development. And that was where the, the idea of the Culinary Vegetable Institute was born. And it's 22 years old. We knew it was a bigger project than we could pull off on our own. Mm-hmm. So I went to some folks that were mentors to me. And in fact, I can remember flying into New York City with some blueprints and sitting down at a table with Danielle Ballou, Um, And we asked several chefs to be on our advisory board. Thomas Keller, Danielle Ballou, Jean-George von Richten, Alain Ducasse, Ed Brown, Chris Hastings, um, eight or 10 folks that were mentors to us. 
and they they joined and lent their name to this project. And we have about normally 600 visiting chefs a year, but it's also open to the public for people to come and have dinners. Now, obviously in the last year, we didn't have the visitors and we didn't have the dinners. We're slowly kind of crawling out of that hole. Um, it actually forced another pivot for us because 100% of our revenue was built around working directly with chefs. And we pivoted to a nationwide home delivery to be able to get product to families in their homes during this crisis so that they could have something safe and healthy to be able to receive at home. I love that, that you were able to pivot your business and think of how could we still get these nutritious vegetables and fresh food out to, to people, especially because this pandemic has just, it's been everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, over the last 40 years, the three most important things chefs told us mm-hmm. was flavor was most important, flavor was second most important, and flavor was third most important. And so we've really gone about trying to naturally, rather than chemically, rather than genetic modification, which we don't use, don't believe in, look for getting the soils in balance and growing the, the best flavored vegetables we could. We had a hypothesis that by by working on improving the flavor that we were bringing the nutritional levels along. And I would challenge the listeners, Google what's going on with nutritional levels in vegetables over the last 50 to 60 years. I'll give you a little hint. Mm-hmm. From 1930 to 1980, they've gone down by 50%. And oh from 1980 to, two, to 2020, they're continuing to go down at an increasing rate. We produce more tons per acre than any other country in the world, yet we have the highest health care. We got off of that bandwagon. By losing the farm, it allowed us to rethink, relook, reconsider the way we were farming. And my dad had a saying that the only thing we're trying to do is get as good as the farmers were 100 years ago. In many ways, that's very true. Those statistics are shocking to me. What's even more exciting, though, is there's hope because the soil can be rebuilt. What we're doing with this lab is testing the soil, finding out what the deficiencies are. And then based on those deficiencies, we're planting crop specific. You know how we kind of jokingly say, I need to go harvest some vitamin D, I need some sunshine. Mm -hmm. It really is true, but it's true way beyond what we think because plants are receptacles of that energy too. So we test the soil, find out what it's deficient. Different types of plants will accept different types of energy from the sun. So based on the deficiency, we may plant alfalfa, clover, buckwheat, rice. We have a 15 species cover crop planting that we plant. Harvest that energy from the sun. And then the next year, when we plant the turnip or the beet or the carrot or the radish or the spinach, whatever it is we want to consume, it picks that back up. And when we eat it, it builds our immune system. We're testing nutrient levels 300 to 500% higher than the USDA average. You can do that in your own garden too. Oh, that's incredible. It's exciting. There's hope. Well, that's it. As long as there's hope. So we see that silver lining that we can rebuild this. Absolutely. And, you know, we're racing towards a plant-based, plant-forward future. It's inevitable for our sustainability. Well, do you think if people improve their repertoire of interesting veggie dishes, like those in the chef's garden. It'll keep or it'll help reduce dependence on maybe industrialized animal agriculture. Oh, clearly. And and it is inevitable. It has to move that way. It's taking too many resources 
Definitely. And what about recipes? Is there a signature recipe of yours that you can share with our listeners? Something that you go to all the time? You know, people a lot of times ask me, what's your favorite vegetable? And it really depends. I always ask back, what season is it? Right now, my go-to recipe in this book has to be Mr. Fry's rhubarb. Mr. Fry was the best grower in our county, and he always had the best variety of rhubarb. And when he died, he willed his rhubarb stock to us. And the only way we ever sell the rhubarb is is Mr. Fry's rhubarb as an ode to him. But there's a kumbacha poached Mr. Fry's rhubarb with ricotta and mint. And that's my go-to today. It's what's in season. What does mother nature give us today? It's a walk through the garden. You know, the garden is like life. It's just ever changing and evolving and flowing. And so going through the garden tomorrow, the, the recipe or the menu on our dinner plate might be entirely different than yesterday. Let mother nature dictate and provide such a beautiful opportunity of what you're gonna put on the plate tomorrow. I'm Mary Mammoliti, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Farmer Lee Jones, author of The Chef's Garden. Well, we talked a little bit and we touched a little bit on flavors and packing flavors. And when we're talking about things like pickled fried green tomato chips, grilled baby eggplant with romescu sauce, um, sweet pea custard and wasabi creamed peas, this book certainly, it does bust the myth that vegetables are just a side dish. But commercial grocery chains, they don't exactly stock a lot of the things like oyster leaves, let's say. Where can people find some of the more niche ingredients? And besides Ohio, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, in the last 60 years, we have a 3000% increase in kidney, liver, heart, cancer disease, attention deficit disorder, autism, childhood obesity, and allergies. It's not sustainable. How did we get to that point? Because we were producing for tons per acre rather than the quality of the product. Number one, you can grow it. There are tips in there for growing. If you have a garden, I would challenge you, encourage you, invite you to have your garden. And if you have children, kids want to emulate what mom and dad are doing. And so if you are doing a garden, the kids are going to grow a garden. You can grow some of this stuff right in your own garden. I would encourage you to build relationships with the farmer's markets and tell them what you're looking for. Share those things. Um, and, and obviously, look for them wherever you can find them. And, you know, we go in a grocery store. How many hundreds of times have we walked by the celery root or the salsa fee or something that just looks strange and mom never cooked it? I don't know what to do with it. Buy it. I challenge you to buy it and bring it home and play. And this book will inspire you to not let these things intimidate you. Bring them home and play with them and have some fun. And that's what it's all about. And that was actually going to lead into my next question because it was for people that um, are box store grocery shoppers and have been all their lives how can they start building that relationship with their local vendors so they can start experimenting and, and testing these different types of fruits and vegetables? Well, honestly, if you're going to a farmer's market on Saturday and you're a regular customer and you're curious about something, nine times out of 10, they'll probably give you one and give you a tip on the way to try it because you know, we want you to experiment. We want you to play with things. We want you to try new things. And I think the reality is, you know, in the last year, it's wonderful that there's been more 
meals and family time together. Um, there's got to be some silver lining in the devastation that we've all had and experienced in the last year. But I think the reality is, is that we're suffering a little bit from cooking fatigue yes. because we've kind of exhausted our go-to recipes. And this is an opportunity to sort of test your, uh, push yourself a little bit and explore beyond where you normally have a comfort level. And don't let that stuff intimidate you. Bring it in and play with it and have, have some fun. There is no wrong way. There's just better ways to do it than others. And our chef, Jamie Simpson, he's a transplant from uh, Charleston, South Carolina. He's been a part of our team and our family here for going on 10 years. Um, he's the chef at the Culinary Vegetable Institute. He did all the recipes in this. And I think they're very approachable. They are. I can, I can attest to that. I've, I've walked through many of them while I was flipping through the book that I could not put down, like I mentioned earlier. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a lifetime of our work and our trials and some of our failures and hopefully some of our successes. Well, what do you want people to take away or to learn from your, your cookbook? Look, I think that the message really is way bigger than a cookbook. I think that, you know, we have health issues in the United States. We have to move towards a plant-based, plant-forward future. Um. I think that it's really about inspiring people to consider using more plants in their diet. There's a couple of, of tips I would suggest. Anytime you can find a way to incorporate any vegetables, leafy greens into your diet raw, you automatically get a 50% increase in the nutritional levels. When you cook them, you're gonna lose part of the nutrition. The longer you cook them, the more nutrition you're gonna lose. And the other thing is eat the rainbow. Find as many ways to incorporate as many different colors in as you can. I hope that this book inspires people to be able to really have fun and consider using vegetables, different types of vegetables, different parts of a plant that they've ever considered before that we might reduce food waste and just have fun and eat more vegetables. What new farming techniques are emerging that can support a large population if we do see, as you hope, a decline in industrialized agriculture? I think that there's some optimism to urban farming operations that we're seeing um, crop up, no pun intended. I think that, you know, in many ways, what's new, everything seems to cycle in life. And I think that we see trends that our grandmothers did that you know, my mother's generation thought we're out of vogue and not cool. You know, farmer's markets are an example of that. My mom's generation wasn't interested in doing farmer's markets. Farmer's markets today are at an all-time high. There are more farmer's markets today. There are more gardens planted today than in the history of the United States, which is wonderful. We're reconnecting with the food source, who produced it, at the user and the producer reconnecting. I think single-handedly we can do more to help reduce food waste, to be able to help increase the health of our nation by reconnecting producers and users of product. Okay, fill in the blanks. If I could go anywhere right now, I would go to blank. Back to the field. I deserve a gold medal in... Growing vegetables. Absolutely. I'm always late to blank. Church. 
Really? I wouldn't have pegged you for being late to church. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's just popped in. I usually like to be on time, but <laughs> I always tell my wife she's going to be late to her funeral. <laughs> she is late to everything, and I like to be on time for everything. So. Oh, you like my husband? He wants to be there 50 minutes before. Yeah, I'm, I can tell you I'm never late for dinner. <laughs> oh, I love that. I ask all my guests to share a little kitchen confession with me. Is there something that you could share with us as a little confession? One of the things we've heard from chefs over the years is that the biggest thing that they can do is not do too much to the product. Get good ingredients, start with good ingredients, and stay out of their way. And, you know, bringing bok choy in or asparagus in, um, the greens in, and just very simply steaming those with a little bit of cracked salt. It's just, you know, just, it's just so good. And it takes so little, a little heat, not much, don't overcook it, keep it al dente and crunchy and a little salt. And you can, it's, it's so, it's so satiating. Thank you so much. Um, if people want to learn more, where can they get the cookbook? Uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Farmer Jones Farm for the boxes. You can follow us on Instagram, Farmer Lee Jones or Chef's Garden. And I would personally invite you and your husband to come out sometime. <gasps> where are you based out of? We're in Toronto. Oh my gosh, that's not bad. Okay, when our borders open up, I think we need to do this. We're as far north as you can get, you know, on Lake Erie. Right. But yeah, we would we would love to have you come out sometime. Thank you so much for having me on. It's that time. We've reached the end of another show. Did we get your stomach growling? Head over to kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. Plus, you can check out ami.ca forward slash kitchen confession for all the latest on the podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and review so we can keep bringing you more episodes you'll love. Our producer and editor is Matt Agnew, and I'm your host, Mary Mamalini. Thanks for listening. 